Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a patient interview, case presentation, or interview or discussion with one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org. The best way to help the American College of Orgonomy spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. If you're interested in training with the ACO, you can learn more about the medical orgone therapy or social orgonomy training programs. You can connect with us and learn more at orgonomy.org. This episode is a classic that was originally published in January 2021 and from one of our public webinars. It was entitled, Even a Marine Needs to Cry. Dr. Dale Rosen shares the moving case of a retired Marine who presented with unusual and painful sensations, unaware of what was going on within him emotionally. Following the presentation, Dr. Howard Chavis and Dr. Ed Chaska joined Dr. Rosen for discussion with questions from the webinar audience. If you're new to the ACO, and to the Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast, you don't want to miss this episode. It's a moving story and touches on important elements of medical orgone therapy. I thought of it recently when I was reflecting on how not one but three patients of mine have been suffering and blocked from being able to cry. One of them, a 65-year-old man who came to me because of irritability and depression, had never even thought once about it. It was like a bolt of lightning when he mentioned feeling sad, and I simply asked him, have you been able to cry? A gruff-sounding man left a message on my office voicemail. Doc, this is Joe. My family doctor checked me out and said I should see you. I'm having these electric currents running down my arms and legs for a week now, and they're driving me crazy. My family doc said maybe it's anxiety and wanted to give me some pills, but look, I'm not anxious and I'm not crazy. So how soon can you see me? These currents are awful. I called Joe back an hour later. He said his family doctor had given him a physical, had done blood work on him and said he was medically cleared, but he couldn't get his electrical currents to go away. I asked, Joe, have you ever had any psychiatric problems in your life? No, never. Look, I'm 55 and I retired from the Marine Corps eight years ago after 20 years. And yes, I saw combat. I knew you'd ask. And no, I don't have PTSD. And look, I'm not anxious, but I got to get this situation under control. I gave Joe an appointment for the next morning. Joe walked into my office with a real military stride. He was a muscular, imposing 55-year-old man with a military bearing, posture ramrod straight, chest held high. His arms were heavily muscled, and from what I could see, they were covered with tattoos. He shook my hand with a very firm grip. I thought to myself, this guy could squash me like a bug if he wanted to. His facial muscles looked rock solid and immobile, showing no expression except for his forehead, which was raised up. He looked me straight in the eye in such a way that I thought, if someone told this guy, take that hill, Marine, then take that hill he would. 
And I also thought if he told me to take that hill, I would do it. He was clearly used to giving orders and following matters through to conclusions. Despite his bearing, Joe looked distressed. He sat down in the chair and shook his hands as if trying to shake water off them. Now and then he tapped his feet. Mental status exam was negative for formal thought disorder or for other psychiatric problems. After my series of questions, he sounded exasperated with me. Look, doc, I'm just a regular guy. I got no medical problems. I don't take any damn medications. I got a good marriage and I love my kids. I thought for a moment, lowered my voice. Has anything changed in your life recently, Joe? He pursed his lips and shrugged. Well, my daughter, she's my youngest. She just got married and moved to North Carolina two weeks ago with her new husband. But, but I'm fine with that. I mean, I'm happy for her and her husband's a great guy. I thought to myself, really? I'm not quite convinced he's fine with that at all. So Joe, now that she's left home, do you go to her room and sort of look at the stuff from when she was a kid, you know, and remember, oh, well, actually, I guess you probably just cleaned it out, didn't you, and made it into a guest room since she left, right? He looked aggravated again. Hell no, we didn't do that. We're leaving it just as it's always been for when she comes home to visit. He pursed his lips again. So how are we gonna stop these damn electric currents, Doc? I paused and looked at him and lowered my voice still further. Tell me, how is it, Joe, around your house with your baby girl gone? I saw his jaw jut out slightly. He pursed his lips and cocked his head back just the slightest bit. His right masseter, the jaw muscle, flexed twice as he bit down on his back right teeth. He reached up and squeezed the back of his neck for a moment. I said, Joe, you look like your neck hurts. You mind if I palpate it for a moment and, and let me know if it hurts? No problem, doc, I'll be fine. He leaned forward so I could get at his neck while giving me a sort of, I can take it kind of look. I stood up, walked to him and palpated the muscles along the back of his neck. When I found the spot that had greater tension, I pressed harder. His neck initially stiffened more, but began to soften, as did his posture, his chest less highly held. I said, Joe, I'll bet you can remember the first time you brought her home after she was born, you know? Silent, he looked away. His eyes began to tear. And then he sucked in a breath hard like he was shocked by something like <sighs> His rock hard face gave way, contorting slowly into an expression of crying. Then tears began to flow, one, then more, which led to full sobbing. Just let it out, Joe, it's okay. He sobbed loudly now, his chest heaving upwards a few times. Through his tears, he choked out, I miss her so damn much, my little girl, my little girl. He cried a few minutes more. Then he took a deep breath and followed that by breathing out what sounded like a sigh of relief. He became quiet, sort of still, his eyes looking off to the right. 
I wondered if he was recalling times from the past spent with his daughter, perhaps. Then he came back into the present moment and turned his eyes on me. He looked surprised. Doc, the electric currents are gone. I, I guess, I, oh no, now they're coming back. I told him, it'll be okay, Joe. And I reached over and again pressed on the muscles at the back of his neck. With this, Joe began to cry again. I removed my hand after the first convulsion of crying. He sobbed for another couple of minutes, then stopped. Doc, they're gone. What the hell? And he sighed again. Joe, it's simple. You just needed to cry. He nodded his head slowly with what appeared to be dawning recognition. I guess I did. I really just needed to cry. Yup, that's it. I told him, listen, Joe, you might get the currents back again, probably not as strong. And if they do return, it just means you need to get more crying out. You can cry by yourself or with your wife, or if you want, Joe, you can call me tomorrow or whatever. I mean, if the currents return, you know, then I'll be happy to make time for you. Joe left the office looking relieved and a little less ramrod straight in posture. He did call the next day, saying the currents had returned. He came to my office, I worked on his neck as before, and he sobbed again, the currents again stopping. Thanks, Doc. Boy, I really miss my daughter. But see, I told you I wasn't crazy. I just needed to cry. I don't need any damn pills. I nodded. Joe, you're right. You sure don't need any medication. We shook hands and Joe left. I wish I'd told him even Marines need to cry. How do you feel after hearing about Joe's case? What do you think? I was delighted to see Joe respond so quickly to Dr. Rosen's interventions, and I was moved to see such a tough soldier allow himself to feel his tenderness. And now let's hear the discussion. Dr. Chavis? How did you know that when he said, I'm fine with that, regarding his newly married daughter moving to North Carolina, that, was more, that there was more to how he felt about it than what he stated? Well, when he told me essentially, oh, I'm okay with it, his daughter moving away, it, it just didn't ring true to me. And you, you can often hear when someone's defending against an underlying emotion, when they seem to overstate the defensive part in this, in this case, that he was fine with it. So huh, there, there's a line from, uh, I think it's Hamlet, that's often uh, misquoted, but it's something like, methinks thou doth protest too much and he was protesting too much. I, it's necessary for the therapist to be able to perceive, I, I think to actually feel the emotions of the patient. But I think it's also essential for the orgone therapist to be in touch with their own feelings when working with a patient. I mean, in this case, when Joe talked about his daughter moving away, I thought, well, look, I have a 17 year old daughter. <laughs> I think even thinking about her moving away someday, even going to college, well, I, I know that how, how that's going to make me feel. And 
let's just say I assumed that Joe was deeply emotionally affected by his daughter leaving home. And clearly you started at the, at the surface, meaning you observed how he held himself, his military bearing, um, his posture, his military uh, or soldierly attitude. Mm. But when you said something to him, you started where he was, you start at where he was. I'm fine with that. Mm. And you proceeded from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it was a very quick connection with him, I thought that we had. And I felt as we went along, I, I just felt like I had my hand just gently on him monitoring. I, it wasn't really there, but just monitoring uh, everything that was happening with him. And it just sort of, uh, you know, there's times when the brain turns off and the heart turns on and you just roll and it just sort of all comes out. And that, that was what happened here. Yeah. And that came about because of your excellent emotional energetic contact with him. Wow, thank you. I have to tell you, I was a little afraid at first when I got his call though, because the only times I've heard people describe uh, electrical currents running down their arms and their legs were probably in my residency and those people were schizophrenic and highly decompensated. But uh, I was very glad that he'd seen his uh, family doctor first and been checked over. I knew his doctor and he's a very sharp guy because such uh, sensations can also be from, uh, you know, conditions like diabetes and um, other kinds of uh, neuropathies. So, but it worked out, it worked out nicely. Yeah. Great. Right. Yes. Um, at this point, perhaps we could see if Dr. Chaska has any questions uh, yeah. submitted from the audience. Dr. Chaska. Uh, yes, we've had a couple of questions from the audience. Uh, one person asks, how did you know to work on his neck? When I said what I said to him, there was a very subtle emotional reaction and it pulled back right there on his neck. And it looked like he was holding back. And um, it, it, just, it just felt like the right place. And then I found the spot. I could see it. I could see it in what he, how he was holding himself. Yes. You know the right spot though. That's, that's amazing. Well, you know the anatomy. You know the anatomy required to pull the head back in that manner. I'm overdoing it, it wasn't quite that macro. And then if you put your hand up and you find a couple of spots, you, you find as I did one, one spot that had a, a greater degree of tension. I mean, this is what medical ergonomists do. We, we do palpate people's muscles and work on them sometimes. And you have to know where to press, how hard to press and when to stop pressing. What's also true is that even if the patient um, uh, says something uh, that may or may not be accurate or an expression of what they're feeling, mm. the body tells the truth. Mm. And in this case, his subtle gesture back showed a contraction in the muscles of the, of the neck, the back yeah. of the neck. Yeah. And, that's where, and that allowed you, because you're so in tune with him, to sense and see what needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Yes, I couldn't agree. Another uh, <laughs> member of the audience uh, said, what do you think those electrical currents were? 
I think this man's uh, soldiering attitude and the muscular holding that went along with it as seen in his, his posture and his facial expressions, uh, it stopped and kept him from feeling what was there in him, but the emotional excitation was still present. He just wasn't aware of it. And he experienced it as the sensation of what he described as electrical currents. You know, for, for this man to survive in the career he'd chosen, he, he had to be highly able to stop when he needed his softer emotions and, and tighten up and, uh, and toughen up and, and do what had to be done, particularly, I'm sure, on the battlefield, where I'm sure his, his very life depended on this ability when in battle. So he, he had this well-honed, as a way of dealing with his emotions after, I think he said, 20 years in the Marine Corps. And um, it probably worked very well for him in his life until his little girl left home. Yeah, That was the one thing that probably got through. And, and then he had no other way to deal with it except the electric currents, which just flowed out of him and then stopped once he began to cry. Yeah, and what this shows, uh, uh, this validates what you're describing, Dr. Rosen, because the crying uh, was a sufficient energetic emotional release, and that discharged the emotional excitation, the emotional energetic excitation, and the currents stopped. Obviously, the excitation was still there because they shortly returned, but then with more crying, they stopped. And you could almost feel it in the room, the buildup of, of attention, which I think was his emotional tension. And then the minute crying started, the tension in the room began to slowly go down and decrease. It was a very nice feeling. It was good to see him sigh with relief too. He needed it. And what you could see, what you could see is that yes, he's a Marine. But in his depths, he's a daddy. Yeah. One of our audience members uh, mentioned that he comes across as a very macho man uh, and wondered how you uh, deal with someone like that and uh, what they're like in therapy. Hmm. I, if, if a male comes across real macho, I actually deal with them very gently because I've never met a macho man with his head held high, uh, taking control of the session, who wasn't really terrified underneath of some kind of uh, soft feelings uh, or even his own fear. I'm firm with them. I don't let them quite run the show. Well, maybe for the first five minutes I do, but I, I'm always cognizant of what's underneath such an exaggerated display as someone who's, who's macho. You know, what you're describing is the social, let's say the social facade, what they present to the world, mm -hmm. which in some cases can get them, uh, bring them success in their career in particular, but it also has an inhibitory effect mm -hmm. so that they have, may have symptoms, difficulty in relationships, 
Um, and that we see once you uh, uh, address the social facade in the way that, that, that you do in, 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 in therapy by not allowing them to control this at the session, but also sometimes by putting them on the couch. Uh, and that can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you said when they have that kind of social facade, it may allow them to be very uh, successful in their careers. Uh, and it may also keep them alive so that they're not overwhelmed by things that would literally tear them apart. And in this gentleman's case, I think it did help keep him alive because for him to fall apart, like I saw him, well, he would call it falling apart. That has a um, negative connotation perhaps, but for him to do so in front of a platoon of men, for him to do so on the battlefield could be deadly That's right. to him and others actually, yeah. Mm -hmm. One of our audience members asked that and I'm putting actually a couple of questions together. Why do the uh, sensations of current then get expressed as the emotion of crying? And then how does pushing on the neck cause that? Hmm. Well, I think first of all, it was held in the neck. Pressing on that muscle in the way I did caused the muscle at first to tighten and then to start to fasciculate, and then to fatigue, and then to let go. And once that let go, the underlying feeling that was being held there began to show itself, which was a feeling of uh, uh, sadness, and showed itself. And the expression, which he probably felt as he watched the U-Haul drive away with his daughter and her new husband, uh, the expression of crying, the desire to have the face contort into an expression of crying that I'm sure he pursed his lips against, tightened his neck against, pulled his chest up high against, and stopped. And why, why that caused the currents to stop? Because I think the currents were literally uh, an emotion that couldn't be tolerated and instead was turned into sen a sensation, which one sees happen in many different ways. Yes, you see, the, the uh, what you did by pressing on the tight muscle is you didn't cause the emotion to be felt. You relieved the contraction, the muscular contraction that held back the emotion. So the emotion literally comes to the surface and it's experienced and perceived by the patient at some point. But the expression of the emotion just is spontaneous because you relieved the muscular defense against the, uh, against the, the emotion. Yeah, Dr. Chavis, you said it better, thank you. <laughs> I'm, gl I'm glad you're here. Thank <laughs> you. Another question from the audience. How did he find you and were two sessions really enough? His um, family doctor gave him my name and number. Were two sessions enough? Well, I never heard from him again. So I have to assume that they were enough to cause his currents to be gone. 
And he had that wonderful awareness of how sad he was, uh, his baby girl gone. And I always will, I've always imagined that when she finally did come to visit, maybe he did cry a little when he first saw her when she came. And certainly I bet he cried when she left again. What we do as medical ergonomists is not magic. Being able to make a sufficient and even deep emotional contact with the patient and knowing what we know as medical ergonomists through our training and experience allows us to perceive, to see things such as the tightness of the face or the chest held high uh, in inspiration, a particular look in the eye. And so this allows us to uh, 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 introduce what may be very simple um, uh, interventions, I'll, I'll say that, or simple things to have the patient do or that we do, such as you did, Dr. Rosen, by pressing on a particular area of, uh, of his neck. Although this may look like magic or even voodoo to, 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 to some people, it's not. This is a clinical science. It's a, a, a clinical specialty, and we can treat all kinds of symptoms I think that would have been a terrible thing if someone had put him on medication for this. I mean, there only would have been two ways. They would have put him on a Prozac-like drug or they would have put him on a Valium-like drug. And either way, it would have further uh, cut him off from the emotion that was inside of him. It may stop, have stopped it somewhat, so he had some relief, but he never would have known, I think, how, how much he truly missed his daughter and that that would have been a disaster in my estimation. I, I want to speak to something else you said, Dr. Chavis. You said how we uh, we may notice uh, the, his chest held high or, or the, uh, the way he talks or, or the pursing of his lips, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't want people to think that that means we're watching someone and saying, oh, look, that just happened. Look, that happened. That happened. The training that we have allows us to integrate that so fully in our observation and, and our, our very uh, right down to gut feelings, I think, that it's, it's almost uh, automatic. Um, and that makes it sound mechanical, but it isn't. It becomes interwoven with how, what you feel from the patient. Yes. What you're saying is that our ability to observe um, does not interfere with our ability to make and sustain an emotional energetic connection or contact with, with the patient. Absolutely. One of our goals is to establish or reestablish self-regulation. Uh, so that's the person's ability to regulate their own uh, emotional energy. And if you in fact reestablish his ability to cry about his daughter, then from there on, he could take care of himself. Mm. Yeah. Yes. That's why I told him he could go ahead and cry by himself, cry with his wife, uh, or call me. Because I, I don't know that it might, I don't, I didn't know that it would even have occurred to him that he could cry with his wife or by himself. Or So I gave him a little instruction. Yeah. Mm. Another question from the audience. Uh, this one about the currents. Sometimes currents can be pleasurable. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the difference between pleasurable currents and, and uh, 
what he was experiencing? Well, I, I think uh, energy streamings, orgone energy streamings can be felt as pleasurable if people can tolerate it. What he felt were definitely not pleasurable. And I don't think they were actually streamings. I think it was literally a sensation, uh, an emotion that was turned into sensation, not what we would call streamings. Yes, also to know that streaming often occurs when sufficient, uh, there's sufficient release of armoring of the chest mm. that the person, when they begin breathing more fully, may experience some streaming in their arms or other parts of their body. And for him, his chest was held significantly. So these were not streaming in that regard. They were yes. like parents. Yeah. That's it right. A, a real difference between pleasurable streaming and what he was experiencing, which yes. was upsetting him. Yes. Yeah. And this We've was had a number of questions. I'm sorry. Of, about um, muscular tension and its relation uh, to emotions. Could you say a little bit more about that? Uh, one, uh, how are emotions held in, the, in muscular tension? Uh, how common is this? Well, I, I think it's very common. I would say it's profligate, in fact. You see somebody who, uh, as a child, wanted to speak up and couldn't, and you see them with an expression like this. Or, or let's just look at the, the case of Joe. Something was said to him that was moving to him. He shrugged like this. He pursed his lips. And I, I don't think I adequately described the way he pursed his lips because it wasn't like he was sucking it up and swallowing it like this. It was more, it was more uh, stoic, like I can take it. Um, or the way in which his chest was held very high. And that was his normal body habitus. I don't know how many of you have seen little kids who were very frightened by something and they walk through the room with their little chests held up high like this. It keeps them from feeling their fear. And then you see somebody, as someone said before, a macho man come into your office and you see the same body habitus and you know what's underneath that. So there's all kinds of ways that we can uh, talk about uh, different uh, emotional holding in the musculature. It's also true that holding back with muscular tension and holding of the breath is a natural defensive reaction. Mm. You can see this in newborns or little babies. It's not chronic. You know, if the situation or when the situation passes with a newborn or a baby, uh, say the mother's comforting presence, uh, alleviates the situation for the baby, then that holding yields and you see the respiration move down the body because there's nothing, there's no chronic muscular holding. Unfortunately, uh, if uh, the uh, environment is such that the natural life and expression, emotional expression of the infant and child is inhibited, then that holding back uh, be can become chronic and that disrupts uh, the natural, normal development of, 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 the, of the individual, of the baby, of the, of the child. You know, what you, said about, sorry. Sorry, what you said about it being defensive just reminded me of a time long ago in Brooklyn when I almost got mugged and I realized what was happening and my whole body tensed up. 
and it stayed that way for about an hour after I got out of danger. So <clears throat> yes, of course, it's a natural reaction. There's also all kinds of um, sort of medical conditions that have a relationship to muscular armoring. And we see this in therapy. We see a lot of these things remit. One thing that comes to mind is, for instance, uh, headaches and particularly migraine headaches. Um, I, I'm sure doctors, you can think of other ones. They're not coming to my, my mind right now, but um, so. Well, asthma, some patients with asthma can have their asthma symptoms resolve whatever the emotional component to that is, the holding back of crying, for example, or the intolerance of anxiety, once that is treated in, in therapy, then the asthmatic symptoms disappear. Also, that, that may be true uh, uh, with hypertension. Um, that's also a, a, a possibility. If, you get, if the patient comes to treatment uh, early enough before there are chronic changes in the, uh, in the anatomy as a result of the, uh, uh, of the, of the illness. Mm -hmm. um, as far as treating migraine, some of the audience may know that one of the so-called modern treatments, it's not, not so new anymore, but the neurologist often shoots Botox into the muscles mm -hmm. um, and that uh, pharmacologically alleviates the contraction. And we can do that without using Botox when we work on the muscles of the neck and, and the scalp and yeah, wherever, that's exactly, else, that's wherever exactly else they need to be addressed. That's exactly where they inject them. With, with release of the emotion, of the held back emotion. Yeah, when they inject in the, in the back of the neck and the base of the skull, it does indeed uh, stop the, the muscle from contracting, which is how a lot of migraines start. It does nothing for release of the emotion. And so one has to get more Botox injections. Yeah. And just for those who may not know, Botox paralyzes muscles. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's its mechanism of action. Not everything that's coming in is a question. I want to share some comments with you. Uh, one, I was impressed that, in essence, you helped him be more fully human and not a, turn into a chronic patient, which this Marine would not have wanted. Hmm. Whoever said that, thank you very much. Yes. Yes, very well put. Yeah, you treated what he came to you for, and that's what he wanted, that's what he received. Case closed. Case closed. Yes. With him being restored as a, as 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 a daddy, okay, <laughs> or his connection with his being a daddy, okay. Mm -hmm. Another comment: his feeling the sadness he had about his daughter would strengthen his bond and deepen his love for her, instead of allowing him to continue in the disconnect, and he would never have known that deepened love. I would agree. And I'd say again, I, I would have been horrified to see this man medicated because it would have gone down a rabbit hole. It would have continued and continued and continued. So, yeah. Any more compliments? I'll be happy to hear them. <laughs> ah, that's enough for now. <laughs> okay. We don't All want right. you to get a big head. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
why did his crying stop the current from another member? Why did his crying stop the currents? I, I think we already spoke to that, but... Um, yeah, some, some of these are repeat I, questions. I'd be delighted to have either of you answer that question. Well, as I, as I spoke to this before, um, that the currents uh, were a symptom that his connection with emotion and deeper emotion was blocked by his uh, attitude, his military bearing, his muscular armor, but this was still in the, there was, there was sufficient emotional energetic excitation so that that expressed itself as uh, these electric uh, currents. And crying relieved, released emotion. It relieved uh, the uh, energetic excitation. So the symptom disappeared. It's, that makes absolute sense. It's a slightly different thing. It's not a, it was not emotion being turned into sensation, but I recall, actually I wrote this up in the journal, uh, a man, and I was actually treating his wife who developed breast cancer. And he was a very, very loving husband. Uh, and also someone who was always happy and full of joy and could never feel anything negative. And he, he was so worried about his wife, but crying was not something he did. And so he developed a tick like this. And his wife's after a while, do you think you could see him? And sure, I'll see the two of you together. And sure enough, he was ticking. It had been two weeks and he couldn't speak for himself about it. But I began to speak for him about how he felt and how hard it was to see his wife going through uh, chemo and how worried he was. And as I spoke for him, uh, he began to tick a little more. And then his face started to go into crying. And then he cried softly, just a little, not voluminously. And then he stopped and the tick was gone and it didn't return. And it's just another example of a way in which an emotion upon being uh, discharged, felt and then expressed and discharged, um, has a, has a physical effect on a symptom, be it a sensation or in this case, a tick. I hope that was clear. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is. And what, it what the tick showed was, let's say the emotion or the impulse trying to express itself. Yeah. But what it was coming up against was a muscular, uh, let's say contraction. And it may be that that muscular contraction is there uh, on a chronic basis to one degree or another, sometimes more apparent, sometimes less. But in this case, the emotion was so strong in tr trying to come out all yeah. on its own that the muscular contraction was not strong enough to hold it back completely. And that was uh, what, what you saw in the tick. And what you did strengthened the impulse. You didn't work on the muscles around you know, in the face and the eye, but your intervention strengthened the impulse so that it broke through the defense. When you say the impulse, can you be clear for people what you the mean? The emotion, the emotion, okay. and the expression of the emotion. 
Yeah, I like very much how you explicate the things I say very clearly. You can come back again next time I come on. <laughs> okay. The important thing to know is we're not talking psychology. And that's important to know. We're talking about an alive individual, an alive organism. And that's how we approach our, our, our patients. I have another question that uh, has, makes a, a little different point. Uh, one of our audience members was uh, very impressed with how you handled the initial phone call. And they found that uh, very different from how other healthcare professionals handle a, a, a call for an appointment. Can you say something about that? Could they, could they say more clearly what they meant, how it was different? I don't yeah. know what they mean. That's that, what I do on the that phone. There was so, so much more uh, connection, is to put it, uh, so much more that you learned and and got out of the the marine in that first phone call than uh, you usually get in the first phone call with a uh, a healthcare professional. You usually don't even get to talk to the person. You talk to a, a secretary and make an appointment, but. Well, we, we don't have to go into the problems with the health, <laughs> mental health profession today, but um, I, I like to know who's walking into my office. And so I like to take a little bit of time to try to get a real feel for who's on the other end of the telephone. And over time, you learn how to do that and what questions to ask. And probably what I presented in terms of the conversation I had on the phone with him it would be a, um, an encapsulation of uh, the actual call, which is probably a little bit longer, but I, I didn't want the, to give the whole call. See, what's important about what you're saying or what you said is that it's possible to establish some emotional contact with the patient right from the beginning. And that's key because a person who's calling might expect this to be just another call setting up an appointment. And they certainly feel and perceive the difference with what you did with, mm -hmm. with uh, this particular patient or with other patients. Mm -hmm. And that shows that the key to what we do is emotional contact. Mm -hmm. Another question, and you may have answered this one, but uh, given that it's still coming in, I think this person is not clear. Uh, are electrical currents often held back emotions? Well, uh, I believe they are. If you see someone who's schizophrenic and decompensated, uh, in this case, this person was not schizophrenic, but I think it was here. But if you see that walking in your office, you have to be certain that certain medical things have been ruled out, like a radiculopathy, like the, a, a bulging disc could cause something like that. Or um, uh, as I said before, diabetes, uh, other medical conditions. Um, sometimes you can get what people describe as electrical streamings from multiple sclerosis, from Parkinson's disease, but usually with those two, you also see motor signs. You also see, uh, physical signs in, in, in the musculature, difficulty with gait. And in this case, there was no difficulty with gait. He had a complete pass medically. And, and I trusted that from his family doctor who I know very well. Um, and 
it was pretty clear to me that this was not um, something horrible like, like Parkinson's or uh, MS because um, he had it in both the legs and the arms without any motor signs. So uh, you have to be able to differentiate between the two and you have to have somebody else sign off on something like that too. If you just assumed that someone with such a presentation had, um, that it was just emotional, that could be very dangerous. Yeah, what you're pointing to Dr. Rosen is that our medical training is an integral part of our practice, of, of how we practice uh, and evaluate uh, patients who, who come to us. Because there are certainly um, medical conditions uh, uh, that might be seen as emotional. Without medical training, it might be treated as emotional. And in that case, actual diagnosis, actual diagnosis and treatment can be delayed. For example, I often, um, even in the absence of, uh, of other symptoms, uh, ask my patients to have their thyroid profile checked because they may have a low, low thyroid or even hyperthyroid without there even being associated symptoms, additional symptoms. And what's, what's the big deal? They get a blood test, they're cleared or not. And, uh, uh, and so I'm exercising my responsibility or discharging my responsibility as a physician. And that includes for cognitive dysfunction as well, regardless of the age because you don't have to be 80 years old to have symptoms of cognitive, let's say, decline, even subtle, related to things other than Alzheimer's, you know? Sometimes I make a joke about this, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll pass it along. Sometimes patients are concerned they have Alzheimer's. I say, well, maybe you have halfheimers. Half the time you remember, and half the time you forget. <laughs> But regardless, I may still uh, recommend that they see a, a, a neurologist, for example, to be evaluated. Why not? And also to know, and also to know one last thing is that there is a, what I believe is a clinical syndrome called pandemic brain. And that is that people, regardless of their age, may experience some cognitive loss of sharpness because of uh, underlying, the underlying stress of this virus and, and, the, and the pandemic. It's the result of chronic, even unrecognized low level stress. When you talk to therapists who are not organomous, what is their take on the idea of emotions being held in the body? And uh, what do traditional doctors think about this sort of thing? I, I find uh, many traditional therapists uh, understand it very, very well, uh, almost um, instinctively. They may not work with it in the same way, but they understand it. Um, I'm thinking of a, a, a friend of mine who's a psychologist, very sharp psychologist, and uh, I remember telling him about several people whose, whose chronic migraines I had, uh, had helped greatly. And then he told me about a couple of people whose migraines he had helped greatly. So I don't think anybody has the 
um, the market cornered on healing, but the, what we do is different, but other people find similarities in it and things that they can relate to, I think. Yeah, I would, I would, I will agree. You know, certainly being able to treat, to recognize um, muscular armor and being able to treat it gives an advantage, especially to those patients who might be referred to a psychiatrist for medication. Because what we do based upon emotional contact and our understanding of how people function emotionally um, is to encourage them and help them to tolerate intensities of emotion. What does the Marines medical doctor know about your practice? Does he know you're a medical organomist or uh, just knows you as a good therapist? He knows I'm a medical ergonomist, sure. We've had great discussions. Yeah. He's referred other people to me before. And so he's asked certain questions like, oh, that's great that the depression stopped. That's just wonderful. So I know what dose of Zoloft are they on? And I get to say, they're not. <laughs> that, that opens up a lot of conversations. I want to thank both of you very much for, for being here today. And I, I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I especially, I think, want to thank those of you in Europe who stayed up so late to watch this seminar. And so to everyone, I say, Bon nuit, buenas noches, gute Nacht, kalinikta, buona notte, and good night. And all of us at the American College of Ergonomy wish you all a safe and wonderful holiday season and a hopeful and joyous 2021. Hopefully, instead of looking at this green dot, we can meet in person. Yeah, take care. Stay tuned for our next episode. We have a new one each month. And also be sure to check out our live monthly webinars. You can connect with us at organomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and review. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the a Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast with the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Organomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical orgone therapy, as practiced by the physicians at the ACO, offers a way forward, often without the use of medication.